I love that Kevin prayed about new things. Um, I often begin my day just thinking about the, the Lord's loving kindnesses that never cease, his compassions that never fail. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So today is a new day. I don't know what yesterday was like for you or last week or last month, but today is a new day. And we're launching into a new season, and I am praying that God will do a profound work in us, and not just as individuals, but as a church, as a community of faith. Wouldn't it be awesome to look back a year from now and just say, you know, God did something there. We may not even be able to put it all into words, but we're just different. We're different people. He is working in us and through us in fresh ways. So good morning. Excited to be here with you. Uh, We are launching 40 days of prayer and fasting tomorrow. And so today is really our kickoff just to kind of think together about what we're doing and where we're going. So uh, let's jump in. I, I thought about the time in which we live and it's extraordinary, isn't it? And if you think about just history Just think about the the connectedness that we have, whether it's digitally or the ability to travel or all of that stuff. That is mind-boggling, just hard to get my head around. When I think about our culture and the time and place in which we live right now, I think one of the words that could be used to describe us is uh, excess, We are described by some as a commodity culture engaged in a collective binge. We are all about consumption. And pick your poison. Money, food, alcohol, sex, entertainment, possessions, and then some of the byproducts, waste and debt. It all speaks of excess. Now, many of those things aren't bad. They're good things, but they have been made ultimate things. And so they take a place in our lives that they were never intended to have. But we we put them there. There seems to be a confusion or maybe conflation is a better word between needs and wants. And they're not the same, are they? They feel like they are, but they aren't. We live in an indulgent age where there is a deep sense of entitlement and a profound lack of self-control. And both of those have produced widespread anxiety, rage, obsession, and infidelity. I read something recently, a guy named J.R. Slosar. uh, He wrote this back in 2009, but it was his societal assessment and he titled it, The Culture of Excess. Thought, what a great reference. Now positioned at the heart of our culture is the church. And that's something. Brighter in some places than others, but it's there. I want to read to you how Peter 
described the church back in his day. And it's a great reminder for us today as we think about this new season. This is in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's just think about that very brief but profound description. God's people are chosen, not instead of anyone else, but in order to reach everyone else. They're not chosen because there's something special. They're actually chosen in spite of who they are. God's people are set apart. They are consecrated is a, is a great word to describe God's people. Um, in Hebrews 11, God's people are described as strangers and exiles on the earth. This isn't our home. We're citizens of another country. And we're called a light set upon a hill in Matthew 5. What a special place we have as God's people. Now listen to what Peter tells the community of God's people, how they're supposed to live that out. This is in um, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Beloved, you're loved beyond comprehension. And you have an enemy and that enemy is your flesh. I'll talk more about that in just a moment, but the way we face that, especially in a culture of excess, is this word called abstinence. That's really the heart behind a fast. So more on that in just a moment. But I wanna notice here, Peter wasn't urging them to just stop sinning. Did you notice that? He didn't just say, stop. He actually gave God's people a strategy for dealing with this enemy of the flesh. That word abstaining means putting off and putting on. That's what's involved there. We see that in Colossians 3 and some other places. So abstaining or putting off and putting on kind of falls under the larger umbrella of spiritual disciplines or practices. It's just things that Christians were given to do that would help them address the enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So it's really a strategy of life. And those disciplines are woven into the fabric of life as a means of fighting the good fight of faith. These days, those disciplines have kind of fallen on hard times. And what's so interesting is for centuries, it was just normal. It's just like breathing. 
If you're a Christian and you're part of a community of faith, then there are just certain things that you do day in and day out because you're at war. In a culture of excess where we have way more than we could ever need, it's easy to believe that it's peacetime, that we're just kind of cruising along, comfortable, everything's convenient. It's easy. But, but make no mistake, there is a war raging all around us and in us. And so these disciplines uh, invite us to fight the fight. So in light of who we are, our identity that Peter described, and our calling or our mission to cultivate connected followers of Christ, something that never stops, it's always a part of what we're doing, and our fight against the flesh, we're entering into a church-wide 40-day prayer and fast. And as I mentioned last week, everybody is invited and, could I say, urged to participate. It's not legalistic. You're not earning treats from God. You're not doing anybody a favor. All you're doing is engaging with this community of faith in the fight. And we're not going to prescribe or script what you should do. We're going to offer some suggestions, some ideas, some invitations. And then we're going to ask you to prayerfully consider what God would call you to do as part of it. Okay, I hope you'll get some encouragement there. Um, Fasting and prayer often kind of land in this place of willpower. I want to read a quote from John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, about willpower. He says, it's at its best when it does what it can, which is to direct my body into spiritual practices. That's what our willpower can do. So that the spirit's power can do what willpower can't, and that is to overcome the three enemies of the soul. Without the spirit's power and without our submission to it, we're helpless. We're in trouble. But when we exert our willpower to adopting these disciplines and practices, then we, in a sense, make ourselves available to the Spirit's power. And then he does what only he can do. Our heart in this season is to encounter God in a fresh, life-changing way that enables us to know him and make him know known for such a time as this. So let me say a couple things about prayer and fasting. I want to make sure we don't assume anything about either of those. So first of all, prayer is a conversation with God. And I don't know how comfortable you feel with that. I don't know how often you talk to God. Sometimes it can feel a little strange, like I'm talking to someone I can't see, and I believe that he's out there somewhere, and he might even be listening. Have you felt that before? But he says he's listening. I don't know that there's many things, if anything, that God loves more than to hear his people talk to him. But it's a conversation, so there's talking and listening, and sometimes we're more comfortable talking than listening. But prayer is our way of communing with our heavenly Father. God has spoken in general revelation, creation, 
special revelation, our Bible, and then in person, the person of Jesus Christ. So he has most definitely spoken. Sometimes I hear people talking about, um, I, I, I don't know if God's really speaking to me. I would say he is most definitely speaking. You just may be hard of hearing. And thankfully, he's given us hearing aids. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people have all been given to us so that we can hear from him. What a gift. And then specifically, thinking about his people, prayer is actually a means of cultivating fruitful community in the body of Christ. So, you know, we, this isn't a solo endeavor. What we say all the time, right? Together is, <clears throat> especially in the area of prayer. So what an opportunity we have as a community of faith <clears throat> to seek God together in this season. Um, so prayer, fasting, this is a little tougher. Um, it is shocking to know, and this isn't a critique, it's just the reality of the day in which we live, how many people have never entered into fasting. And I'm not talking about intermittent fasting so that you can lose a few. I'm talking about this spiritual discipline of fasting where you're not just putting off something, but you're making room to encounter God in a life-changing way. That's how this is unique and different. So let me define fasting. It is a grace-infused practice of abstaining from food in order to make room for growing spiritual attentiveness, awareness, and maturity. We'll leave that up for just a sec. I do want to make a distinction. It's not, it's not a huge deal, but you will often hear Christians talking about I'm abstaining from social media or Twinkies or whatever. You know, like that we just pick different things and we're like, I'm, a, I'm fasting from that. But what I'm really doing is I'm abstaining from that. When we talk about biblical fasting, it's food. That's what it is. And it's okay. You, abstaining from those other things is great. That's a good thing to do. I've done it myself. But what we're trying to do is get educated around this idea of why did people fast from food? And the, the reason that they did is because it is a physical experience, not just a mental one. You feel something when you withhold food from yourself. All of a sudden, your stomach is engaged in the process. And you might feel uncomfortable. You might feel weak. You feel hungry, right? And that is intended to trigger an attentiveness to God. That's the connection. So we withhold food in order to enhance our attentiveness to God, his purposes, and his activities. Again, Comer says this, fasting is a practice by which you deny your body food in an attempt to starve your flesh. Remember the enemy waging war against our soul? We're trying to starve the flesh. And we do that physically. Scripture reading, he says, is to our fight with the devil as that relates there, fasting is to our fight with the flesh. 
and they really go hand in hand. Um, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says the fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function, eating, for the sake of intense spiritual activity, communing with God. By the way, in your guide, uh, we have several resources that you can look at to get some really great insight around this idea of fasting. So fasting is introducing this physical sensation. Uh, One person called it a psychosomatic exercise in order to really help us engage in the essential act of self-denial. And if we're living in a culture of excess, self-denial becomes really important, doesn't it? Something we really need to give some thought to. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. So following Christ involves self-denial. They just go together. Or I could say it this way. There is no such thing as following Christ without self-denial. It's just part of the deal. So, so all the while, we're trying to figure out what are those things that I need to put off that, that, that I naturally want in order to get what I most need. That's the big idea there. Fasting is temporarily but purposefully setting aside earthly provisions to feast upon heavenly realities. And again, that's our heart as we go through this prayer and fasting. So prayer and fasting are two core practices that Christians have participated in for 2,000 years, and they are essential to this idea of abstaining from the passions of the flesh. And tactically, they help us make four key moves in our battle with the flesh. And so I want to look at that. The first is prayer and fasting help us restrain the flesh. They help us to wage war there. Now, when I say flesh, let me define that. The corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. Eugene Peterson said that. Uh, Comer again says, our, the flesh is our prime base, primal animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality, but also to pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. It is this impulse in us that believes that it can thrive apart from God on its own, as its own master. That's the flesh. And when we come to Christ, we have power over the flesh, but it doesn't disappear. It doesn't evaporate. It stays there and wages war. In fact, your flesh has a plan for your life. And that plan is diametrically opposed to the plan of the Spirit. Galatians 5, very, very helpful. And I'm going to flip verses 16 and 17. I'm going to start with 17. Paul says, The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, 
and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. You could put in parentheses, all the time, never ending, no exceptions. Is that clear? And why is that? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That passage always confused me because then it, it, it sounds like I want to do the things of the flesh and I want to do the things of the spirit. Yes, you do. And both of those um, influences are trying to get you to do what you want to do under their leadership. But they're always opposed to one another. So you and I have to choose moment by moment, each and every day, which way am I going to go? Will I submit to the flesh or will I submit to the spirit? And whichever one you submit to, the other fades away. And that works both directions. Now, verse 16. Therefore, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. That is a guarantee. You hold fast to the spirit. You follow his leadership. You submit to his power in your life. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can't do both at the same time. Now, with that in mind, there's no better weapon against the flesh than fasting. It is a way of saying, I'm not following you. And you're only going to get what God says you can get and nothing more. It is a conscious decision of submission. Romans 8, 5 through 6, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So one way to think about this prayer and fasting is to say, I am setting my mind on the Spirit. And I am going to deny the flesh some things that aren't bad, but they are going to send a message that God is in control, not the flesh. So that's, that's our first key move when we're engaged in this season. Secondly, after restraining the flesh is to repent of sin. This season really invites us into this place of agreeing with God about what is out of alignment with his intentions, and then turning away from those things that are opposed to God. That's what repentance is. It's just turning from my own way to God's way, facing him, going after his priorities. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. That is repentance. So fasting is a physical, tangible experience of turning away from a lesser thing and toward a greater thing. And it's an opportunity to turn away from things in our lives which are in conflict with God's word. So what you may discover are some things that, that are prohibited by God. It may not just be good things. It may be other things that are getting you off track. Um, Israel had a number of occasions where they were off track 
and uh, in t- some tough spots. At the beginning of the book of Joel, um, here's an encouraging word from the Lord, and I hope that this will kind of find a place in your heart and mind as you're engaged in this process. The Lord says, yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I have found whenever I have engaged in prayer and fasting, I usually see stuff in me that isn't very pretty. And it's interesting that the enemy uses that to discourage me. Basically to say, what kind of Christian are you anyway? And do you think God is just okay with all that? Do you think he even wants you to come to him in your condition? And this tells me, the Lord is not at all concerned with the condition I'm in. He's interested in the condition I'm pursuing. And so he says, return, come on, come home. I can do in you what you can't do in yourself. So let that be an encouragement to you. I don't know where you are today. You might be in a ditch, but today's a new day. And the Lord says to return. He's inviting you to him. That's really what this season will be about. God's heart toward us in this regard is beautifully reflected in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Listen to this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's good news, isn't it? So restraining the flesh, repenting of sin, and then third, uh, this season is about renewing the mind. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4. He says, Gentiles, and they represent unbelievers in this context, have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, the culture of excess, right? Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, parentheses, flesh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you have worldly freedom, which is really just you can do whatever you want to. That's that's a concept of freedom that the world promotes. And then there's true freedom. And that is I have the freedom to do what God wants me to do. And without Christ, without his spirit, without his word, I don't have that freedom. But when I submit to him and I chase after him, I gain that freedom. Romans 12, one and two, very familiar. 
hear it again with fresh ears. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, it's a physical thing, not just a mental exercise, present your bodies, which present all of you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's a right thing to do in the presence of a holy God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We want to enter into a season of transformation, of renewal, and it begins with what we think about. We are creatures of the senses Andrew Murray says, our minds are helped by what comes to us in concrete form. Fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. Another way to think about this season is uh, an idea of a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. So what God's people would do is, again, they would set aside the normal routine of life and posture themselves with great attentiveness to God and invite him to speak in a a unique and powerful way. I call it a redemptive disruption, a redemptive disruption. And then here's how David prayed in moments like that. Uh, Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 139, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's our heart as we come into this season. As we put off and put on, that's what we're doing. Lastly, Restraint, repentance, and renewal all clear the way for intimate encounters with the Father, and I call that rejoicing in the Lord. That's where we want to to get to. That's our horizon that we're headed for as we're working through some of these other things that are a little harder. But in our humility, we experience his grace, mercy, and steadfast love. What you're gonna find as you're working through this guide is repeated reminders of who God is and what he's like and what he thinks about you, his affection for you. In our discomfort, however we might apply this fast, whatever we might feel physically, we will be comforted by his presence. And that may be a foreign thing to you. And that's again, where the community can come into play. And I would sit down with a trusted friend and I would talk about it how you're feeling and how God's meeting you in that place or how you might be missing him in that place. This is a growing kind of experience that we're not expecting everybody to be a pro and just, yeah, this is like a cakewalk. No, this is, this is the battle. This is what we're doing. In our physical weakness, we discover the sufficiency and strength of his spirit and his word. 
again in the Psalm, Psalm 73, the writer says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what we're learning when we engage in prayer and fasting, that he is our portion. Uh, It's so easy because life is uncomfortable. Um, Life is inconvenient. Life is frustrating, all of that. And so our culture says when you don't feel good, find something to make you feel better. That's the answer of the world. And the Lord says, you live in a broken, sin-wrecked world at war with God. So it probably isn't going to feel great very often, but that's okay, because I'm going to meet you in that place. I will protect you. I will sustain you. I will strengthen you. I will give you peace and joy and love like this world could never find. And this life is a breath a vapor, and you will spend eternity in the presence of God, utter perfection, no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no discomfort. That's what we're setting our sights on. I call this a fresh opportunity to find freedom, true freedom. So we're going to enter into this 40 days of prayer and fasting. We'll start it tomorrow, and it will conclude on Good Friday. And I'm excited. I'm so excited about Good Friday. All of us gathering back in here together and seeing what the Lord has done in these 40 days. You have been given a guide. And if you didn't pick this up last week, we'll have... uh, some available out there so that, again, if you don't have it, please grab one on your way out. We also have a digital version of it. Um, There was a link in last week's newsletter. So if you go back to last week's on Thursday, the newsletter, you can get the link there and there's a digital version that you can follow. Um, I, I think I would encourage you to get a paper version because there's room provided in here for you to write thoughts, questions, prayers, whatever the Lord uh, kind of encourages you with as you're going through the process, all of that is in there. And let me just also mention while I'm thinking about it, this is a great, great opportunity for families. Together is better in your home. And you don't need to set your kids aside and go, this is kind of mommy and daddy's big people stuff to do. No, they can begin learning about this discipline, this practice, this way of life. Now, it's age appropriate. In fact, uh, Melissa and her team in children's ministry put together a specific guide just for our kids. So they can be going through this process with you. And I would encourage you to gather your family together throughout the fast and talk about these things answer questions. Let your kids know that you have questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't we all have questions? So we can just bring those together as a family and do that together. Let me tell you how the, the kind of the routine is going to work. So 
In here, we have 40 days of devotions. They're divided up into eight five-day segments. This sounds like calculus to me, but <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. So for each five-day segment, there is one key passage. And what we're gonna ask you to do is to return to that passage every day of that five-day segment. And then every day we'll also have some reflection thoughts or prompts, and then some prayer prompts. So that's it. Every day is just passage, reflection, prayer. Super simple. If you want to do more, if, whatever you want to do, that's all good. But that's the daily devotion. Then the fifth day of each five-day segment, remember calculus, each fifth day is going to really focus on application, and our application is going to be tied to our emphasis here on going outward with the mission. So we're going to take you through a process of, of uh, it's a four-word construct we have, aware, prayer, care, share. Remember, we're leading toward Easter. We're trying to reach out in our city, right? Build relationships. So the first 10 days, we're going to focus on becoming aware of the world around us and where God might call us to engage. The second 10-day segment, we're going to focus on prayer, praying for opportunity, and we can see where God is at work. Then the third 10 days, we're going to focus on caring for the people around us, reaching out and showing the love of Christ in a tangible way. And then the last 10 days, we'll focus on sharing, praying that God will give us opportunity to talk about our faith in Christ. Okay? If you have any questions about any of that, talk to your community group leader. You can reach out to staff, elders. We're all familiar with the guide, so we can help if you have any questions, okay? I'm gonna tell you my plan. And I don't do this to go, hey, look at me, Pastor Monty. Uh, I'm, I genuinely, I just like, Lord, I wanna engage with this in a way that's meaningful to me. It's not the standard, it's not the model. I'm just telling you, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. So here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to forego uh, breakfast and lunch every day and I'm gonna drink a glass of juice for both of those meals. And what I'm gonna do with that time is I'm going to, first of all, in the morning, I'm gonna focus on 20 minutes of silence and solitude. Now, you might think I do a lot of that. I don't, okay? But I, what I'm trying to do, because I feel like I'm going 100 different directions, 100 miles an hour some of the time. So I'm just saying, I'm gonna set aside 20 minutes. No distractions whatsoever. I'm just gonna sit there and be quiet. I'm not gonna read anything. I'm, I love music. I'm not gonna listen to music. I'm just gonna sit and I'm gonna listen to God, and we'll see what happens. But I'm gonna do that every day, and then I'm gonna do the devotional that's in our guide. That'll be my morning. And then in the uh, lunch segment, the time that I would spend eating lunch, I'm gonna go for a prayer walk. I don't know where I'll go. Maybe I'll go in the neighborhood next door or something. I don't know, but I'm gonna go for a prayer walk uh, every day. Kimberly and I are gonna, Monday's our date day, so we're gonna go on a prayer walk together on Mondays. 
And then Kimberly and I are going to read um, John Mark Comer's new book called Practicing the Way. So that's my plan. Nothing, nothing spectacular, but it's going to get me in a routine where I am putting off and putting on some things, and I'm inviting God to do a work in my life as a result. So I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider what God would have you do. In fact, as we go into so what, um, I'm going to take you through a, a little bit of a devotional like what's in your guide, but it will give you opportunity to um, perhaps hear how God might want you to engage this. All right. Let's start with, let's read that first Peter two passage together. Read it out loud with me. It's up on the screen. Here we go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. All right, so the first thing I wanna invite you to do from a reflection perspective is just think about what encourages you most about your identity, as Peter described it there, as one of God's people. What encourages you most about his description? Just take a moment and think on that. Identify what that is. When I think about things that encourage me, things that God has done on my behalf, the gifts of these uh, initiatives of God, I'm prompted to thank him for that. So just take a minute and thank him for adopting you into his family, making you his own, and doing so with the purpose of not only delivering you from darkness, but making you a light in a dark world. So thank him for that. Take just a moment to do that.
Okay, another reflection question. Where in your life is the biggest gap between who you are, your identity that we've just thought about, and how you live? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where is that gap. This is who I am in Christ, but this is how I live in those two things. There's a, there's a gap there. What is that? Invite the Lord to show you. we see things in our lives that are out of alignment with God's heart and his ways, uh, we're urged to confess that to him. And really confession is just agreeing with him about what we've seen. It's just acknowledging that what you've shown me, I see it, I understand that it's there, and I want that to change. So confess your need for God specifically in that area that he has shown you and invite him to work in your life over these next weeks. That'd be a, a, a great thing to go after in this time of prayer and fasting. So invite him to do that work. And lastly, we are needy people. And so let's finish this morning by praying that God would help us in whatever ways we need help. Uh, But even in addition to that, to help us bring his goodness to the world around us. So we want to make sure we continue to think about not only God's work in us, but God's work through us. So today, let's start this prayer and fasting by saying, ultimately, I want to be used by you. I want to grow. I want to change. But I want to be used by you in your redemptive work. Ask him to do that.
All right, if you'd stand with me, we're gonna respond to the Lord in worship. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to do life with this community of faith. Thank you for this season that you have given to us that we might make room for you to do a new work, a fresh work, a great work in our hearts and our lives. So we sing your praises. We're grateful for the grace and mercy you've showered on us. And uh, lead us as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen.